The Ortho PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Today's episode, we have Dr. Brian Saltzman. Welcome back to our listeners from last week's PRP. Stem cell therapy. In reviewing your 2019 talk for PAOS, you made a point to the audience to understand that there's a difference in terminology, actual stem cells versus cellular-based therapy. Can you expand on the difference, what that means, so our listening audience will have a good idea of what you're talking about, what we're doing? This is a charge that, uh, that was actually coming down from our leadership in the, in the academy, in the AOS, from earlier 2019 kind of consensus-based paper that they wrote up in, uh, in the Journal of American Academy of Orthopedic Surgery. The way that these are marketed out there, the way that some of these clinics pop up, the way that patients are understanding these is to call them stem cells and stem cell injections. That becomes the focus of it. But the truth is that there's only a small percentage of the cells in these therapies that are the stem cells. And so when we talk about these, there was, again, a charge from our, our academy leadership to call these cellular-based therapy. And they look at it and say, well, the NIH defines stem cells as those cells that are capable of what we know stem cells do, dividing and renewing themselves for long periods. They're unspecialized, they're pluripotent, and they can give rise to specialized cell types of specific functions. And, and there's certain CD markers, cell differentiation markers that those cells have to have and also have to not have to be categorized as stem cells. And that, again, gets into the point of saying that in these, you know, quote, stem cell injections, as they're described, those make up just a small portion. And so calling them cell-based therapy is, is really more appropriate. That's because we, we can't technically inject necessarily, you know, 100% stem cell. And, and that's just based on where the FDA is with our, our ability to modify tissue. So uh, uh, you hear or you will hear the idea of 361 versus 351 tissues, 361 tissue being what we're doing, which is homologous use of minimally manipulated autologous tissue that, you know, is pulled from the bone marrow, for instance. We're not enzymatically degrading it. We're not doing something to manipulate that tissue to harvest isolated stem cells and grow those stem cells and re-inject them. That would get more into that 351 or cell drug or experimental type of a, a discussion where, you know, it has to be an FDA-approved process for non-homologous use and, and greater than minimally manipulated tissues, again, enzymatically degrading things to, to harvest specifically those cells. What we're using is largely uncharacterized, non-expanded, minimally manipulated preparations that largely make up, you know, 1% or less than 1% of what we're injecting in these cell-based therapy injections. Whereas the other majority of the cells are, are still helpful cells, as we're seeing, but those are the myelopoietic cells, erythropoietic cells, some of the growth factors that are in there, things that are not actually stem cells, and again, make up almost you know, 90, 99% or more of some of these injections. Mm -hmm. If we're talking about cellular-based therapy, how does it work? And uh, you, you've talked about you know, different options in the U.S. What are a couple of options that we have for treatments here? That gets into options for us, really in the U.S. being a, a discussion of the bone marrow aspirate concentrate or BMAC coming from the iliac crest or the, the proximal tibia or the distal femur, the proximal humerus around the shoulder, just based on 
ease of, of access. If you're operating, you know, if you're in the operating room and you're operating on the shoulder and want to use proximal humerus, it's right there. But also an understanding that there are varying levels of true stem cells and hematopoietic factors in each of those locations with the iliac crest being the gold standard still from, uh, from the basic science data that's out there. So bone marrow aspirate concentrate versus the adipose derived injections, the fat injections from the flank or the buttock. And injections being, you know, within the joints, uh, around bone, augmentation to scaffolds with cartilage repair, topical augmentation on focal defects of cartilage. So different places, certainly in, in the joints and around the joints of the body. As far as, well, how do these, how do these work? And that goes back into the discussion from, uh, from just a moment ago saying, well, if this isn't just stem cell injections, what, what's actually happening in there? From the stem cell standpoint, that percentage that is kind of some of those mesenchymal stem cells, these have the multi-lineage differential potential to, to differentiate the multiple cell types like uh, bone cells, cartilage cells, fat cells, through induction of some of the growth factors and local proteins around wherever they're transplanted. But a lot of the actions probably come through some of the immunosuppressive or anti-inflammatory actions of what's being injected with them and some of the growth factors, cytokines, some of the bioactive uh, lipids that can, can help blood vessel formation and, and prevent cells from, uh, from dying at anti-apoptotic properties of cells. And, and it seems that, uh, that a lot of it may come from that because I, I don't think, I don't get a sense that from the literature, we have a great suggestion that injecting these into an arthritic knee is regrowing cartilage and changing the x-ray or MRI. And that's what I, that's what I tell my, you know, my patients um, from that standpoint is, you know, does it have a capacity to help cartilage cells come into those places? And, and the answer to that from a basic science standpoint might be yes, but I don't think right now that we have uh, an appropriate ability to quote that taking an end-stage arthritic knee and injecting bone marrow aspirin in is gonna is gonna turn that into a 20-year-old knee again. So it seems to be some of those other properties of these injections and and some of the paracrine effects as well, you know, the ability to simulate other parts of the body, distant parts of the body to send in cells that that engage in cell differentiation or, or angiogenesis blood vessel growth or some of those immunomodulatory or, or anti-inflammatory roles, things things that can reduce fibrosis or scarring, which can be helpful in the soft tissue realm, things that help to, to nourish cartilage inside of the knee joint, chondroitin sulfates and, and proteoglycans, which help make up some of those uh, synovia, synovia site properties as well. Now you've covered uh, a few clinical indications, and I'm curious, are you using the bone marrow or the adipose tissue in your practice? Uh, do you have a favorite, or does it just depend on the clinical scenario? I'm still honestly in in my practice trying to decide which and where. I think there's some more data that's out there in bone marrow aspirate concentrate. There's some data to support rotator cuff repair augmentation injected at you know at the time of rotator cuff repair. It seems to be better at helping that repair from an MRI standpoint. But again, um, similar to like the ACL um, with PRP, uh, we're not sure quite yet if that's clinically correlated. Same with some of the foot and ankle literature with non-unions, and I know some of my colleagues are using bone marrow aspirin concentrate as they do ankle fusions or um, midfoot or hindfoot fusions. They're almost injecting those kind of as a standard of care because of some of the data out there from that standpoint. So bone marrow aspirin is something that I've, I've definitely been, been more comfortable using with some of the literature that's out there to support it. But I do think that the fat-based injections, the adipose-derived injections, have a lot of hope as well in the future. I get part of that sense from our basic science colleagues out there. I, I went with T. Mormon, who's the uh, chief of Atrium MSKI, where we have our partnership uh, as Ortho Carolina with the Atrium team and the Musculoskeletal Institute. 
he's done a lot of work in the realm of fat and he's kind of helped to, to teach me along in the, uh, the ways of fat use. And he says, fat is where it's at. <laughs> fat is where it's at. That's what he says. But I went to a stem cell summit with him in 2019 before the, the kind of world of COVID happened. But, you know, scientists curing cancer with these types of therapies, which puts it all into a little bit of perspective too, of, of what people are doing with these biologic treatments outside of orthopedics. But it seems that there's a there's a lot of basic science evidence to support that that the fat has a higher percentage of stem cells in comparison with bone marrow aspirate. It lacks some of those things that bone marrow aspirate has that might be more similar with PRP, some of those growth factors and cytokines that are spun down, you know, that are spun down properties from the blood that is included with the bone marrow aspirate. But there seems to be a, a lot of more understanding that we're going to get from the fats in addition to the bone marrow that might, you know might change specific locations or indications of how, how we look at these things. Yeah, I think that would be my, my long-winded answer to that. Do you ever use this in combination with a PRP or with Visco, or do you ever use combination treatments? Good question. Yes, I think combination of some of these therapies have, have a place, as and the literature is kind of looking at that in some degree. I, I will say from highlighting something from before, too, PRP and viscous supplementation together for non-operative treatment of early to moderate knee arthritis seems to have a value in comparison with viscous supplementation alone. And so there might be some one plus one equals three additive type effect between those where they might complement one another to augment. I, I think PRP plus bone marrow aspirant maybe is a, a little bit less intuitive, just again, given that the bone marrow aspirate concentrate seems to have some of the PRP properties included within it. But I think there are people out there who are doing those together and, and, and maybe we'll have some data out there for us to reference. Largely speaking, some of these I think can be combined. I do combine them in some situations, but I think we'll know a lot more as, as time goes on. And, and that kind of gets to the, the kind of closing remarks I would have as far as a lot of promise going forward, I think, with these therapies, but there's certainly a lot of unknown. But when the basic science is as strong as it is with these modalities, I think we're going to better understand in the years to come where they're of value and where they're not of value. And that'll help us to really focus our attention on certain locations or pathologies where we're going to see the, you know, the biggest opportunity to make these things of value. Again, going back to your presentation in 2019, which I've relied on quite a bit to prepare for this, in discussing the future of orthobiologics, uh, you discussed amniotic membrane and umbilical cord-derived cells. That was a couple of years ago. Any updates since then, or uh, where do we stand with that? I references of recent study that came out, a good study out of the Journal of Knee Surgery in 2019, and that was with um, Adam Yankee, who was a, a former colleague of mine and, and when I was back in Chicago at Rush years ago. Also, Andres Gamal, Jack Farr, and uh, Eric Strauss, who are out of Harvard, Ortho Indy, and NYU, respectively, if I'm remembering that correctly. But colleagues out there who are doing great things in this field. They looked at amniotic suspension allograft injection, or these amniotic membrane injection a specific proprietary brand of it that was done just for the study to remain homogeneous with it and found superiority in comparison with both visco supplementation and a saline control in uh, knee arthritis with greatest improvements in pain and function at three and six months. And that's that's achieved kind of a, a lot of representation of this type of um, treatment option in our literature and in the clinics, because outside of that, there hasn't been a lot of high, high level one evidence, maybe a few other scattered studies with this therapy, but this was a very well done one with very reputable people at a very reputable base institution. And so that's definitely one that I don't think I had mentioned in my 2019 study, because I think that was before, excuse me, my 2019 presentation, because that was before this had come out. 
But again, the idea with these injections, the, the value of them certainly being that they're off the shelf allograft injections, so no donor site morbidity, no nothing to pull out of the patient, but uh, they probably have some of the modalities and, and uh, aspects of hyaluronic acid in, uh, and properties that help reduce inflammation and, and immunomodulation and um, helping with anabolic and going against catabolic pathways. But I think we know a little bit less about these just from a higher level evidence in comparison with some of the other things out there. Very well said. If you do look at the international studies where they're using different things for different uh, indications, what's really promising? What do you see on the horizon there? It goes back to that discussion of the 361 versus 351 type of tissue. And and certainly uh, things are more stringent in the United States and for better or for worse. I, I think you can look at it both ways, certainly. The ways that we've used these therapies, I, I think, have been a little bit behind of what some of our colleagues in uh, in Europe and Italy and and, uh, and South Korea, where a lot of this research comes out from before, uh, uh, sometimes before we in the States are getting to them, from a clinical standpoint, at least. I think largely the uh, the way that I've looked at these studies and the evidence out there has been to include all of these together as research that, that comes out. I think largely a, a lot of what's out there uh, that I've referenced includes U.S.-based as, as well as uh, non-U.S.-based study. Um, but uh, but I'm sure there's some things that are going on, or I know there's some things going on in the in the fat and bone marrow aspirate-based worlds and some of the surgical settings where it's easier to augment certain things at the time of surgery from an institutional review board or an IRB board approval standpoint um, as compared to us here in the States. And so there, there's probably higher level clinical evidence to come maybe a little bit uh, sooner in some of those outside of U.S. Um, base locations than, than here. But I do think that we're getting a good opportunity to appropriately study these things because when they are approved at our institutions or by the FDA, that it's being done in a very stringent and, and good way that's going to provide results that are beneficial to, uh, to understand from. All right, Dr. Saltzman, I'm getting my crystal ball out for you to look into. And we jump ahead 10 years, 20, 50. What's orthopedics going to be like with reference to orthobiologics? Do you think it will be the first-line treatment, or is it just going to stay an adjunctive treatment? Uh, do you think it will replace surgery? Uh, where do you think we're going with this? It would be also interesting to hear if you, know, if you asked that question to somebody 10 years ago and see what they said then. I do think that in a lot of places where we use cortisone now, that, that maybe 10, 20 years down the line, that that is a, you know, an insurance-approved means of PRP treatment, for instance, in the office. And, uh, and maybe we'll have some of the technology that can help really facilitate making that easy to do in the office setting as a streamlined approach. I will say that what I, what I tell patients as well is there's only so much that these treatments can do standalone. And, and at times, they still need to be looked at as an augmentation type of a, of a, of a therapy. And what I mean by that is if you've got a, a patient who's got a painful, massive cuff tear, you can put anything in that shoulder that you want. You could put a hundred percent stem cell into those, into those shoulders if it was available. And, and I, I still don't see a way that the body is going to take a three millimeter gap and fill that gap with cells and, uh, and fill that gap with rotator cuff tissue. And so I do think that there is always going to be a role in certain pathologies for these options as augments, as biologic augments to make them more successful. But I still think there's places where we're going to have to suture or screw or plates or do something mechanical. But I, I think that what we'll find is a better understanding of where we can make the biology better, where our mechanics are very good. And that's how I look at it with patients and, and describe and say, you know, I, an anchor at this point is pretty close to the next anchor from a tensile strength. 
But what we can do with the rotator cuff is at time zero, make it pretty darn strong. But, but what we still see is re-tears or failures to heal. And, and I think as we better understand these things, that the biological augment and the surgical world is going to be a big thing over the next 10, 15 years of where these therapies find to be most beneficial and become standard of care at some point. Great stuff. This has just been a great set of interviews. Dr. Saltzman, I certainly appreciate you being with us for the podcast, and I hope I can bring you back for some other topics down the road. I'd be very available for it. I appreciate it. And I'll have to throw another plug in at this point for PAOS. We have your audiovisual on our 2019 catalog from our Charlotte conference where you go over this in detail, and it's a great video to watch. Good for CME.